In this episode, I'll be talking to Irving Marty Martell, uh, who worked at Polaroid for many years in various different positions, starting as a B-roll operator and moving his way up to a traveling salesman. Uh, in this episode, we're going to hear some anecdotes about his experience and some stories about what his favorite part about working at Polaroid was. Um, please give it a listen. Uh, I found it a very, I found it very interesting, uh, and I hope you do too. In the meantime, if you do like it, please subscribe. If you want to hear more uh, stories like this, more interviews, uh, please let me know. Um, and you can see our website at analogfilm.club. That's analogfilm.club, not .com. We have some products available there. We have a caffeinol developer that works really, really well. Uh, and we also have AFC 17, which is our newest fine grain developer. Uh, those are available in single shot packets. Super easy. Rip the packet open, dump it in water, stir it until it dissolves, and you're ready to go. I'll be releasing some more content about my developers uh, later, but in the meantime, please have a listen to this show. And like I said, if you like it, please subscribe. And let's get started. I guess we can just get started right away. Um, what, uh, what did you do at Polaroid? What was your position there? When I started in 1961, I was a, uh, what they call a B operator, assistant machine operator, roll film, one step up from the broom pusher. And as I kept going, um, moved up to a slitter operation and then, uh, couple of other things and uh, then I was uh, let's see get into the project 60 p60 that was the pack film and was the machine operator there did some engineering work worked with some of the engineers especially injection molding guys and uh, finally got a degree thanks to a couple of guys Joe Perkins and uh, Roly Coates, who kept threatening me with my life, but I didn't sign up to take a couple of classes at Northeastern. <laughs> and uh, they almost got me to get in the car and drive me over there one time. <laughs> I finally, uh, finally went down and registered. And they started, they took one class on a Tuesday, and their rationale was, what do you do on a Tuesday? I was 18 years old, 19 years old. I said, well, nothing particularly. He said, well, get down there and sign up. So he ended up uh, going for a long time. Uh, got a associate's degree eventually. And then they started to get serious and uh, ended up taking two classes on Tuesday and one on Thursday year-round. And uh, finally got an undergraduate degree in business. And uh, right after that... I had done a bunch of different jobs there and got to know people, and I was pretty good at work, work life. And uh, it was through Joe Perkins who worked for industrial engineering for a while. And Joe Perkins, Bob Graff, a couple other people I've noticed uh, have passed that from that group of uh, engineers. And I did a lot of work sampling, work study for those guys. And uh, once I got my degree, I had also had experiences with finance, various and sundry, you know, short-term jobs. One thing I loved about Polaroid was they moved you around. 
you know, you didn't just sit there for 20 years doing the same thing. And I ended up going to work for Leo Hamill, and that was the accounts payable supervisor. So that was my intro to uh, salary jobs. And I went through a bunch of different areas there. We did some uh, inventory accounting down in uh, Norwood, and we did accounts payable, obviously, some payroll stuff. And uh, many years later, I ended up uh, as a uh, financial analyst for marketing and sales. And I was the guy that went out to all these trade shows as the finance rep. That was a really good job. There were 10 of us who got selected to fill that kind of a position. Uh, Some were from all kinds of fields and did, uh, you know, shaking hands and that kind of stuff for the, the project. And uh, eventually, they had a program where they were looking for people from manufacturing operations, uh, business operations, and uh, become high school teachers. And I said, you know, I've been there 28 years. I think I'll fill out an application because I taught skiing, tennis, photography, and I was pretty good at it. So uh, I was one of the 10 that got selected, ended up going to Leslie University over in Cambridge. They had another program, same, same, 10 of us. Uh, Some of us went to Leslie, some of them went to Harvard, Education Department, School of Education. And I left, retired in uh, May, like 30th, 29th, whatever, of 1988. And, uh, Started school on June 2nd, and uh, the next May, I had a master's in education. Wow. So that began a whole new chapter. Um, basically, I owe a lot of thanks to Polaroid people, Polaroid Corporation, for uh, you know moving people around, giving them different experiences. Uh, who'd have thought you'd be in industrial engineering for a while and down in injection molding operations for a while, working with engineers on problem solutions. Uh, I did a stint down in Norwood in Sesame as a financial analyst before they terminated that program. It sounds like it but, sounds like uh, they they definitely shuffled you kind of all over the place. so you you started assembling roll film that was the that was your original job sat at the end of the machine gave the rolls a double tap and put them in a little box that was set at 45 degrees and from there they went to an inspection process and uh, went over to negative operations and that's where it was assembled with the negative and rolled and boxed and packaged wow that's quite the that's quite the career (laughs) it's a long time (laughs) Yeah, 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 it was. So what was your what was your favorite part? Uh, probably the last job, that uh, marketing sales uh, accountant, financial analyst. Went so, to two Super Bowls. We actually didn't go to the Super Bowls, but we had rooms and hotels that uh, had, uh, you know, these 70-inch TVs at the time. That was a real novelty. And 
we had, uh, let's see, in uh, San Francisco, that Super Bowl, we were right downtown, and uh, we had this great big hotel room. And even some of the, the VPs couldn't get the Super Bowl tickets. <laughs> so it was kind of interesting. Um, we had the Pointer Sisters. We had a half of a football field in the Moscone Center. And uh, we had the Pointer Sisters. I actually have held the uh, the Super Bowl trophy. And had a couple pictures taken. My next favorite job, well, the same same kind of thing in San Diego. Um, I just travel around a lot. I've been to lots of states. Spent the week in New Orleans. But, you know, those are long jobs. It's not necessarily, you know, you get up at 8 and work till 4, 4.30. Right. Um, I'd get up and be out somewhere at 7, get down at 5.30, go bring four or five doctors to dinner, and get back around 10. <laughs> The only expense report I ever got challenged is working in uh, New Orleans. Turned in the expense report. A week later, I get a call. Said, what What is going on? I said, what do you mean? Says you were staying at the. It wasn't the Four Seasons, but it was one of those super hotels. And I was talking to a cab driver. <laughs> I just shooting a breeze with him. And I said, you know, I'm out here at 7 o'clock taking a cab to work site. And uh, I spent about five hours in this hotel bed. And now I'm gone again. He says, I know a place, a beautiful place, a tenth of the price. I go, really? So get in. Went down a couple of blocks on Bourbon Street. Stopped at this place. Walked through these gates to a brick patio essentially they had parrots they had flowers plants walk in there guy says yep we got a room this place was on the second floor and it had glass windows from the floor street street level all the way up to the ceiling in the in the uh, room it was more like a apartment rather than just a room that was like 125 dollars a night <laughs> the manager says what the hell, where were you staying? <laughs> <laughs> I was staying at the best place you could ever imagine, one block in from Bourbon Street at about the tenth of the price. You know, and I was only there, like I say, I get back at 10 o'clock at night and you're gone by 7 in the morning. But uh, that was kind of interesting. So they had you, and, I'm, I'm assuming that was, um, you were selling like um, medical imaging? Was, yes, yes. Most of it was... Um, yeah, X-ray technician, X-ray um, machines. Um, those are the days. And you put the thing in a big metal envelope and you slide it in, and that goes away. As opposed to today, you sit down and boof, it's gone. Um, mm. The most interesting part of that show when I was there working, I actually worked the booth. So <laughs> it was uh, ultrasound, and uh, one of the women we were working with. Yeah, it's kind of a hot ticket. We're all quite personable, you know. And so this doctor comes over, and he's talking about the ultrasound, and he says, "Come here." He reaches down and blows with the, the uh, whatever it's called, the, the actual machine. He's roaming it around. He says, "Look, there's your heart." 
<laughs> only in only in a trade show, you know, it was like yeah. pretty wild. But um, we had, uh, you know, stayed at some of the best places you could ever imagine, Albuquerque. What had happened was um, we would have uh, a sales rep sign up for some period of time. Uh, and this, we had two great big uh, mobile offices. You ever see them? Remember seeing them? No, I, I never trailers. had a chance. Oh, these are magnificent machines, big tractor trailers, and above the fifth wheel was a 17-seat theater. And so you had a video of Polaroid and Corporation and all these products. And the rest of the trailer had countertops and drawers and storage. And it had every machine we had out on a countertop where you could actually look at it, pick it up, play with it. And we would go to different sales guys' areas. So we were out in New Mexico, we were out in Albuquerque, we were out in uh, Arizona, in Arizona State. Um, <laughs> we were in uh, Berkeley, California, up at the JPL Labs. I mean, we used to go a lot of places. So this truck driver we had. Mikey, Michael, Ira, Michael Bernstein. Mikey was a piece of work. He was a New York Jewish gentleman from Brooklyn. And he had the most magnificent track you've ever seen. It was a Kenworth, and it was white. What wasn't white was chrome or glass and mirrors, lights. <laughs> and the trailer had these great big graphics on the side of a spectacular machine. So he's back for Christmas. And he lived in uh, California. So the tractors and the trailers were kept in Norwood at a big truck repair place kind of thing. And they did lots of show trailers. So it was in there for Reaper. You know, been on the road for a year. So it comes back in. Well, we show up on this Monday morning. And he says, where are you working? I said, California. He says, where are you going? San Diego, I think it was. And he says, that's where I'm going. He says, how are you getting there? He says, I think I'm going to walk. <laughs> <laughs> Being sarcastic because he was ultra sarcastic. Well, why don't you ride with me? I said, what? I was in the military. I was in the Army. I was a mechanic track and wheel vehicles. And so I had, you know, experience with big trucks and stuff. So. <laughs> Mikey was such a strange guy that people looking at the truck, if he didn't like the way you looked, he'd shoo you away from his truck. He would. He said, no, you can't look at my truck. Get out. <laughs> so when he says, why don't you ride out with me? I go, what? You serious? He said, yeah. I called the secretary. They canceled the reservation. Fine. Got in that tractor at 1 o'clock in the morning, and he was not happy because we should have left like at 5 in the afternoon. So... We drove down to New Jersey where we got off and ate at the halfway house diner. He had his truck washed, cleaned. We had this great big brunch kind of thing. Of course, it was like 7 o'clock in the morning by now. <laughs> and I remember you had pork chops and, and uh, eggs. I go, what the hell are you eating? He said, I'm having lunch and breakfast because we're not stopping. I said, okay. So we get across uh, North Carolina, come down 77, 
school, the other side of Raleigh Durham, and we went west uh, across the state and up to the Tennessee border. We stopped at the uh, way trucks truck way station. <laughs> those there, they were all over the place in those days, and uh, we pulled down the road. Now, you understand, Mikey would smoke chain smoke. And he would drink coffee by the gallon, literally by the gallon. So he'd stop off and, and he'd just run out and pee between the dual wheels and then he'd get back in. So we'd go through the way station. We only weighed 53,000 pounds, so it wasn't heavy at all. And uh, gets down to the end of the road. And just before we get on to I-40, he pulled over. I thought we were just going to go pee, <laughs> He bangs on the door. He says, move over. What do you mean, move over? He said, move over. Going to let me drive? Are you crazy? <laughs> I didn't have a CDL license at the time or anything. So <laughs> I move over. Adjust the seat. Fine. And it was 13 speeds in the transmission. And you run up five, one, two, three, four, five, and you hit an electronic switch, and it would shift up and you would then go to six seven eight nine ten switch it again 11 12 13 well because we were so light you'd start off in third gear <laughs> i thought we were doing 100 miles an hour and i looked down he says you better speed up to 55 because we're going to get killed <laughs> <laughs> you just felt you know, it was a great big monster vehicle and it just felt like you were going 100 miles an hour and wasn't even going 45 so <laughs> So that fool went back. This thing had a big sweeper. It had a queen bed in the bottom and a twin bed on the top. So he says, I'm going to go take a little nap. He says, if I hear this thing running over 1,450 RPMs, I'm going to come back out and kill you. <laughs> 55. That's it. Do not go 54, 53, or 70. So we drove straight across the state of Tennessee at night. I drove. And all of a sudden, I look up, and he's sitting on the edge of the bed just watching. And he said, we're going to pull over, Mikey. Not a problem. So we get down to Memphis, and I see a sign, Memphis, 22 miles. I say, hey, Mikey, you're 22 miles to Memphis. Where are we going to stop? He said, keep going. We're all set. Well, he knows every truck stop and way station and everything. And has been in the truck for 25 years. And fine. Mikey, where are we going to stop? 12 miles to Memphis. I drove right through Memphis at 7.30 in the morning. Jersey barriers, traffic. <laughs> I'll bet my fingerprints are still on the, the steering wheel. <laughs> if and when I get out of this truck, Mikey, you're dead. <laughs> Isn't that just testing to see if you knew what you were doing? Oh, my God. <laughs> so we got through, got across that state, and went to bed in Texas and woke up in Texas. <laughs> That's how long it is across, across I-40. And uh, by Thursday, we were in uh, California, right at San Bernardino, pulled into his house, stayed there for the week. And then, you know, I was with the truck driver, so we just go out to go to wherever we were working. So that, was the, that was the highlight of my trip. <laughs> and I've been to some interesting places. I think the second most interesting place was uh, Tip O'Neill's retirement party. 
Have you ever been in a room with 2,500 people at dinner? I can't say I have, no. <laughs> well, in this hotel, and Reagan was president, and of course he had been shot. They were in and out of the room, and there must have been 100 people in there just setting stuff up. There'd be a guy sighting down this line of tables, and he would be signaling people, that glass is not right in line, uh, that fork needs to come out of there and move over. I mean, just kind of amazing. They think 2,500 people are going to be in this room. So one point, Secret Service comes in and says, everybody, sit down, do not move. Okay. In came about 12 dogs, sniffers, bomb sniffing. They ran around the room, they come over to you, sniff your leg and move on. Now the room is locked down. So once you got out of there, you couldn't come back till the night where you're going to work. We all had uh, tuxedos with uh, Kelly Green, cummerbunds, and ties. Fantastic. Unbelievable. When, uh, oh, the rule was when Reagan comes in, you stay seated. They were so concerned with, you know, getting shot again. So everybody's sitting down, shooting the breeze, and having a good time. Reagan comes in. No, I guess Tip O'Neill came in. Man, I tell you what, he had been drinking all day long. He was funny. He was a, a just absolutely eloquent speaker. Um, I got pictures of myself with him. Uh, one of the Pointer Sisters, a couple of a notary, who the hell was that? Bob Hope? No, I can't remember. I'd have to look at my picture album. But unbelievable. So it was an announcement he's coming in. He walked about seven or eight feet from the elevator door to this podium. Now, we watched this podium being built. You know that curtain draper you see in front of the, the podiums when they're speaking? Yep. And the podium itself. You know what's between that curtain and the podium? Armor-piercing uh, steel, like an inch thick. And there was a trap door under the where he was standing at the podium. So if anything happened, they just pulled the cord and down he dropped and out the door. Really? Stuff you see doing stuff like that is just impressive as hell. You know, you'd, you'd never think of that. But, uh, after that dinner, the place just broke open, boy. <laughs> i tell you what. There were just people milling around, and our job was to take pictures. So we walked around with cameras and tons of film and just shot all kinds of pictures. Every one of us got this nice leather-bound case, and in the case were two uh, crystal like highball glasses, and I'm engraved, uh, you know, Speaker of the House, Tiffany, and the other one says it has the years he's worked there. So pretty impressive, pretty impressive stuff that, uh, you know, we got involved with. I would have never had the opportunity to do that, except with Polaroid. So I finally retired, and uh, I, I, my last stint was doing the, uh, the finance uh, guy for marketing sales. And I retired and became a high school teacher. So that's what I've been doing. I just retired again in July of this year, what, six months ago? And I was teaching at a jail, teaching social studies to uh, 
15 to 20 year old felons. I mean, real criminals. Breaking and entering, guns, shootings, two kids murdered somebody. <laughs> very strange environment, very stressful. And we had a breakout of somebody in admin at COVID. We had a sign up that, yeah, they told us. Days later, another one came. And uh, I mean, I was 77 years old. And I can't afford to be uh, in that kind of environment, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I, re I retired. And it's kind of interesting. Um, not a good retiree. <laughs> <laughs> and just, I miss, I miss my guys, you know? Yeah. And, uh, the people I work with are fantastic. But I have to admit, it, it's a very stressful place to work because you walk in, you have nothing in your pockets, no phones, no wallets, no keys, no nothing. You get wanded, metal detector. You sign up. You get the temperature taken. You sign in. And you go into the – everything from there in is locked down. You finally go into main hallway, get my radio and my keys, and then go over to the education office, essentially, and uh, shoot the breeze. I see what everybody's doing and getting ready, and then 7.30, boy, you head down and start teaching. 2.30, so you're done. Were you working? Were you working in a school before this, and then you switched over to a? Job. Yeah, my first teaching job. I got my master's in the '89, and the economy was totaled. I uh, did some teaching in Cambridge, only because I knew one of the professors who I had talked to about, you know, part-time job or something. So I substitute for couple months and then uh, I was talking to a friend of mine who lives in Hingham and he owns a marina and I was bitching about not getting the job and he said why don't you come down and work for me we'll sell a few sailboats okay so I went down to Hingham I lived in Cohasset so wasn't far away and uh, I had a credit card I moved brand new sailboats from Boston to Newport. I moved them from Boston to Portland, Maine. I took a 38 foot of brand new one time by myself and sailed from Hingham out to uh, Newport. That, and when I think of that, how crazy can you be? <laughs> you know, <laughs> moving a great big brand new boat with little instrumentation. Was that on? That, just, you were you were sailing in there, or you trucked it there? No, sailing. Sailing in there. Oh wow. Yep. Alone. <laughs> <laughs> through, through the Cape Cod Canal and out the other side, down to Newport. And wow. what was going on was uh, the Americans Cup races were that weekend, and that was boat show too. So uh, yeah, that was that was quite an adventure. And finally, um, I'd go in all these job fairs and stuff. So I met this woman from Charlotte, North Carolina. And she says, what are you doing? You know, look at your resume. Blah, 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 blah. So I got my car on Labor Day weekend, drove down to North Carolina, and uh, started in one corner of the state up off 77, 
in every county park cross they went to the education department and they all say well you know if you live in new england or you're not here and if you were here you know you'd be a great candidate when i get down to charlotte and uh had the woman's card and the lady at the desk says well she's not here but since you talked to her uh, let me have you talk to somebody uh, talking to this I mean, an actual southern blue-haired lady, <laughs> one of these little old 80-year-old, funny, articulate, and she had them southern drawl like, well, Mr. Mulatel, I see you've been all over the place. Let me ask you this. What was the last novel you read? I gave it a full 10 seconds and said, Methods and material in teaching math. Methods and material in teaching social studies. <laughs> <laughs> the man wants to get out of grad school. You think I was reading? <laughs> <laughs> so she laughed. And then she said, let me call this. She knew they had jobs. So let me call this person. So I talked to this guy for a few minutes. And he made a phone call. South Charlotte Middle School was a brand spanking new state-of-the-art school. He said, I want you to go down there and talk to the principal. Okay. So I found my way across town and get down to the school. It was about 10 miles north of the South Carolina border. I mean, that's how far south we are. So uh, her name was Dr. Think about it in a second. Anyway, she was from Connecticut. <laughs> she said I was tired of these southern people that some of them were really good, and some of them were not real good. They were lazy. I find this out later. So she says, when can you start? <laughs> Excuse me? When can you start? Um, well, I just got a you know, suitcase with a few things in it. I'm traveling. She says, I'll give you two weeks. Okay. <laughs> Came back up to Massachusetts, loaded my car up, and moved to Charlotte. And I was there for a year, and then I moved to Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And I was teaching there. I was teaching sixth grade social studies. I'm sorry, science. Now, the state of the art school, South Charlotte Middle School, I'm serious. I had a corner in my classroom that was about, I would say, 12 feet by 12 feet. And it had every toy you could ever imagine as a science teacher. <laughs> at air tables, vacuum tables, air hockey, lasers, I'm serious, lasers, uh, mirrors, all kinds of stuff. Now, was I qualified to teach AP science? First job I get? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like running around like a crazy. And then they kind of got into the routine, and I had a lesson plan that was, you know, really open, loosey-goosey. And I ended up having, one, a really good time. Got to be friends with a lot of people from the area. A lot of the students' parents were my age. <laughs> and uh, I had complaints from a classroom next door that there was all too much noise and stuff going on in my classroom. And, oh, okay. I do a lot of group work. I still do. And so I would take these ninth graders 
and then one point line them up, shortest to tallest. Birthdays in January, February, March, April. Tallest to shortest. Street addresses. Just so they work different groups together, you know. And when they're doing stuff like that, I had a contest with the laser. How many mirrors could you get reflected? Let me tell you. <laughs> These kids, when they were very wealthy, had come from private schools. And uh, it was a, it was a, it's noise. You know, these kids are working, running around, talking to each other, close the shades, and I can't get the reflection. So the day came when I was having a contest. So I invited the principal and AP, a couple other teachers. They walk in, all the lights are down, all the curtains, all the blinds are down. Okay, let's begin. I had two four girls who got something like 12 bounces of <laughs> mirror reflections in the room. And because, you know, when you announce the winner, there's the bedlam, you know, kids are screaming and hollering and stuff. So I was going out one night shortly thereafter. And the principal called me over. She said, yeah, we're getting some complaints about the noise in your classroom. Said, uh, what do you mean noise? Well, Somebody was complaining that the kids are yelling and screaming and they were making noise and they certainly weren't learning anything. He said, I'm going to tell you, I told that teacher where to get off and you just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> 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 I was successful as hell, uh, not knowing too much about the actual teaching operations, you know, certainly not political. Yeah, this is what we're doing. We had uh, a rocket contest one day. These kids had a lot of money. I was teaching something about geography and uh, something about rockets. Oh, we got rockets, Mr. Marty. You do. Kid come down there with a rocket like three feet tall, three inches in diameter, <laughs> four motors, and remote control because you couldn't be near them when they fired off. Oh, my God. The thing went up a 1,000 feet. <laughs> I'm thinking <laughs> the airplane is going to be FAA is going to be knocking at my door in a minute. <laughs> and so we had this contest that went on. Then we had rocket-powered cars. Um, they'd take the rocket motors and put them in these, uh, you know, remote-control cars. Right. Jesus, I'll tell you, we were running down the track. And so we set up uh, measurements. That was the whole deal. You know, acceleration forces, a little physics in there. And we, we had cars flipping out because... They put in two bigger motors, and they would fire off, and then they'd go sky skyward. <laughs> you know? And they they learned a heck of a lot doing that stuff, you know. And all the time, they were learning about things that were in the curriculum. Right. And then they left there, went up to I lived in Chapel Hill, and uh, working in Durham. So I went from this first class super education facility all the toys bells and whistles you can imagine and i interviewed with two or three people and uh, was in talking to this one principal and her name was queen bass honest to god that was her name queen bass she was a very attractive black lady about 
probably late 30s. Very, very classy, very smooth. And uh, had a discussion with her. And the school was four buildings all connected in a big square. In the middle is grass, a greenhouse, tables with umbrellas, chairs. And uh, I got hired. Another science teacher. This is a black, middle-class neighborhood. What a change from the superstar AP kids in Chapel, um, wherever I was. And so <laughs> I give out an assignment the first day. And the uh, next day I come in and say, oh, what did you guys think? It was a great place. And you only had 13, 14, 15 kids in the class that teach in eighth grade science. Well, I was lucky to have some supplies, let alone rocket contests and <laughs> that stuff. And uh, the next day, I said, well, what did you guys think? And they just kind of looked down and shuffled their feet and shook their heads and shoulders. And I said, well... Let's let's go to this page and let's start looking at what's going on. They didn't read very well. And, you know, they were intelligent enough, but they were so inexperienced. I mean, it was just disastrous. It was the last all-black middle school. As a matter of fact, the, all, the last all-black school in Durham, North Carolina at the time. Pretty unusual. Now, I was only one of three white people in the building. <laughs> I tell you what, boy, he gets some looks, you know. After two weeks, nobody knew what color you were. Didn't matter. So we, I, I did a lot of things with them, too. Um, you know, I'd have to read with them and then explain it to where they could understand it. And uh, I did lots of hands-on stuff. So at one time, I took them to downtown um, Raleigh. And we went to uh, Museum of Science. We went to the State House. We went to all kinds of places. And I went down and I made reservations with Amtrak. <laughs> well, I had about 15, 18 students total. And teachers heard about that. And the next thing I know, I've got a bus full of kids, 10 teachers, all wanting to go on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> I called Amtrak back. They said, well, I went from 10 to about 30 people. Now, their thoughts were a whole train full of black kids. Mm-mm-mm. So we said, okay. So I got that straightened out. They put on our own car, Amtrak. And it was only about, I don't know, 30 miles to downtown. We had a great time kids are all super behaved. We went to the state house. We went to the Museum of Science. Uh, we went downtown to uh, University of North Carolina. Um, just amazing stuff I did with these kids. Got away with teaching them something at a greenhouse. They had never put their hands in dirt ever before. They were hysterical. And dirt, Mr. Marty. <laughs> it's clean dirt. <laughs> Once those plants started to come up, 
they became so possessive that if one of the other kids looked at their tray of flowers, they would freak out. <laughs> and we had planted something like 300 flower plants around campus in uh, May, June, and they all started to sprout out. And we did some interesting things down there. Uh, then I went to another school. I was teaching a special program. It was a pull-out program. And I had these little black kids, eighth grade, who uh, were learning disabled, essentially. And uh, I had worked with them. Loved the job. Loved the job. Had a great time. And then I had a principal that came in who was a reject from two other principalships. And he just destroyed the school. And that was it. I had a little disagreement one night. <laughs> I pretty much would work eight to five and get all my work done. Never took anything home. So this guy used to show up in my classroom and he'd be whining. And what it was is they moved him up to principal again. So when he retired, like two years, he'd retire to principal's right. What a total disaster this guy was. So funny. I had it out with him. <laughs> I had it out with him. He came down to my classroom every night and just bothered me. So I said, you know what you ought to do? You ought to go down to the Board of Ed and tell them to buy out your contract. And you probably get 90% of your pay and get out of the school teaching principal's business and put somebody in here who knows how to do the job. Not the right thing to say. <laughs> 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 not the right thing to say. So the next day, one sentence, one word, um, I'm retiring to uh, pursue other opportunities. Thank you. Gone. <laughs> <laughs> I got calls from personnel. I got calls from union. You know, they, that guy's a nuts. He's lazy. He doesn't understand a thing. He took a school that ran like a clock and destroyed it in three months. Really? So, but I don't need to do that shit. And then I did my own thing for a while. I started my own business. I was teaching at a community college. What was your was nice What was your business, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, Wild Bird Supply Store. Okay. It was nice. And uh, so I was teaching at the community college around there, teaching GED program. That was a good, good deal. I was doing that part-time, still ran my business, and next thing I know, having a plant business because people want to attract the birds and you really need to have certain plants. And so I ended up working with this woman who came by, and she was a University of Maryland horticultural graduate. And uh, we teamed up. Man, we had business. <laughs> At one point, we had a dump truck uh, tractor um, all kinds of people working. <laughs> I mean, it became a huge business. And that came to a screaming, screeching halt because the state was widening this road we were on. And they bought out all the businesses along the street and stuff. And then they moved to Florida. And I've been here ever since. Just stopped teaching. <laughs> July. Wow. So now I'm retired. Do a lot of cooking. That's about it. So what's the what's down. the plan now? There's got to be a. You sound like a kind of guy that's always got to have something on the go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, I keep looking at 
I looked into teaching from home, and that, that gets to be a real hassle because you sit at a computer all day and get all this nonsense going on. And uh, I kind of ruled that out. But uh, they're, they're so short of teachers around here that uh, I teach. Uh, what I'm looking for is like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. No Fridays, no Mondays. And there are lots of jobs around. But then the COVID thing, I mean, teaching at the jail, I love it. I love doing that. Even some of those guys try to kill you, literally. <laughs> they get to know you, and a lot of them uh, become pretty good students. Right. But um, with this COVID thing. Definitely complicates things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you just don't want to be out at 77 years old uh, in this place that you don't know where these people have been or come from it's, it's just not a good deal at least the jail is fairly safe although they had an epidemic there too but i mean it, that was brought in by somebody like us who comes in off the street and works there right you know guards supervisors, teachers i mean you don't know what people do on their own time mm -hmm. so yeah everybody said to me nope 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 retire <laughs> resign so i did and I play golf a couple of days a week and put her around and just do stuff, you know. Wow. In our neighborhood, we've got four or five of us that get together on Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday eve afternoons, and all the golf carts get together, and nobody's six feet apart, and uh, bring you drinks and snacks and, you know, shoot the breeze, solve all the world's problems, <laughs> and then we leave. So that about amounts to the uh, social we have a couple of restaurants we visit, um, eat outside, you know, don't, don't eat inside at all ever. Yeah. So, so all in all, life is fairly good. I've developed some heart issues and, uh, found out a couple of weeks ago, I had a mild case of prostate cancer. That's always interesting. You go, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's not good to hear. Yeah, yeah. Uh, PSA went up and uh, went to this urologist. Uh, my primary sent me over there. And uh, he did a biopsy and he found three nodes. Two were nothing to even look at practically. And one he said, eh, it's definitely cancerous. So I went back last week and talked to him again. And he said, well, we're just going to watch it because prostate cancer grows so slowly. Right. He said, unless it really takes off, it'd be fine. But I've had... Uh, Heart surgery one time 10, 12 years ago. I mean, I'm a rough and tumble, but, you know, you still uh, hurt yourself once in a while. So now I'm retired. And when I saw your uh, ad in the uh, paper, you know, I talked to this, this young man. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to, uh, my my goal for the project is just to talk to people that, that worked in the worked in the industry and, see how it developed you know well mine developed really well yeah it sounds like it sounds like you've got you had quite the career you jumped around all over the place <laughs> yes i did yes i did spent in industrial engineering accounting and so the last one was a job you know traveling around the countryside and had a good time stuff you would never think about yeah that sounds like uh sounds like it was just a constant party 
the whole time? <laughs> um, pretty much. <laughs> never, I've never had anybody uh, want me to make me want to leave. You know, so that's twenty-eight years of pretty good, pretty good living. Awesome. Well, it was great talking to you. Um, I don't want to keep you too long because I don't know if you probably finished your dinner by now. But no, no, no. But just starting. I'm going to have stir fry, uh, chicken tenders, and veggies and stuff. And then uh, I've got to do. Uh, we're having another neighborhood get together tomorrow. Oh, cool. And I've got to make uh, some uh, apple fritters. So <laughs> get all the stuff out as soon as I get done chowing down go on that project cool so i keep busy i do a lot of cooking i like to cook taking a bunch of classes so next thing I? you know you'll next thing you know you'll start a restaurant um i keep looking around at one that i went one when i'm working at because the, the uh it's a real southern restaurant black people owned and uh, i mean southern stuff no no joke and uh, they have a class for 99 dollars you work in that restaurant. I've taken three or four of those things. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Learn a lot. Awesome. So I'm still active, which is good. Awesome. Well, well, if you need more information from a uh, little short, fat white guy with a beard, feel free to call me. Sure, will do. Okay. Thanks for talking with me. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for making it so far. I really appreciate listening. And like I said, I really enjoyed this conversation with uh, Mr. Martell. Um, If you did too, make sure that you like and subscribe and uh, support us uh, at our website, analogfilm.club. Thank you and have a good day, evening, weekend, morning, whatever it is, wherever you are.